it seems like a at least a steady march towards that. While we're on this line of thinking here, let me bring in this whole louche farm, human farm conspiracy. So I was looking around a little bit about this, and this kind of does play into the like Anunnaki abraham religions and and this sort of thing but essentially what this conspiracy and i may do a a bad job representing this conspiracy because i'm more just interested in it not necessarily promoting it so from what i understand this louche energy i'm sorry this louche farm is this concept that humans serve as like you said a battery for these non-physical like ethereal entities that have sometimes been dubbed ufos or fallen angels angels and that sort of thing and i believe this is kind of what david ike is getting to with the archons right there are these archons that feed off of off of humanity and they do so in the form of low vibrational energy that is they have to get you threatened or scared for your life or angry uh, for these entities these non these non-physical entities to be able to, to properly harness harness that energy from you that's kind of where it's it's going and it does go a little way to allude to maybe just the lie system itself and why that exists i mean nobody can nobody can deny that the tv programming all day every day it's telling you to live in a state of fear right whether it is 9-11 obese be afraid just watching a very interesting thing about the anthrax right remember around that time there's the whole anthrax scare which was just endlessly hilarious just to see these clips compiled of, of news anchors coming out like anthrax and again all it's doing is setting you in this low vibrational fear state and that's all it is all day every day turn on the news it's crime happened here it's something happened here what do they say these kind of bloody horrific scenes make great news or at least these these kind of uh, negative events like that putting people in this kind of fear mindset and it just i mean do it do it today do it last week. Turn on your TV and bam, what do you got? Oh, look, another uh, school shooting, another mall shooting. Oh, look, these poor innocent people. They were they were just trying to go to a garlic festival, c- to use a topical one, because that happened lately, right? These poor innocent people are just trying to go to a, a garlic festival. They can't even enjoy their garlic festival without being targeted. So it really would seem like the lie system sets you in that, that fear state continuously. What, what would you say? Well, again, it's interesting that when you look back, well, when I look back over the years to how much it's progressed and changed. So yeah, the the news as the news has always been the same for me. So it's always been negative. Traditionally, you'd have in the UK, you'd either have an half an hour or an hour of news and the whole lot of it would be negative, negative stories. And then you might have one little one to two minute piece at the end saying somebody's rescued a dog or some grandma's dog managed to get the attention of somebody to save the grandma's life or whatever it might be at the end but basically the whole rest of the the news was absolutely appalling usually going on about wars bombings all sorts of horrid news and then obviously over the years what's happened is now we have 24 hour news channels which people just leave on all day (laughs) and it's just pounding pounding them with negative negative energy but it, it isn't just the news either is it if you look at the cycles of the of the entertainment itself and look at everything seems to be more debased than it was so if you look at going back into the 1940s 50s like the sinner the movies and then coming into the present day there's so much more gore there's so much more violence even the 
children's cartoons are now just completely loaded with with violence there might not be the blood but there's still the the actual battling and punching and kicking and whatever else and it's just the whole thing is just negative the whole lot save the odd the odd disney cartoon that might come on with a princess doesn't matter what you're looking at it is all completely debased and negative totally and and it's not just violence it's also sex as well isn't it so today you can see what would have been taboo in the 1970s can now see body parts galore on tv and nobody bats an eyelid and that's before the watershed let alone after the watershed which is nine o'clock in the uk it's just crazy so yeah it obviously is all on purpose and it really is and it all plays into this what we term it as the epsilon agenda without doubt the, the whole thing it's just it's just on a constant build 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 to essentially head into where where we said earlier about having a having the people in a tank (laughs) (laughs) literally getting them in the tank yeah yeah in the end they're going to be so pissed off and so negative they're going to want to get in the tank to escape (laughs) from it (laughs) they want to go to the virtual reality bliss of the matrix there you go yeah And man, I don't think we're too far from that. I actually, it was JLB in one of his videos had this amazing graphic. It was like two young, two young people sitting on the couch with like a virtual reality goggles on. And you can kind of like see in the foreground there, the the clicking and the news headlines and stuff that they're getting in their little virtual reality headsets. And then the, the environment around them is like decaying. There's trash all over the place. And it's just incredibly poignant that that is so poignant because it, does seem like that's where we're heading is is it's going to be in a, a complete escape from reality from the the real well what we can see is the real physical world so yeah absolutely and that image is if you haven't seen it you got to check it out it's it's shocking <laughs> it's it's good but it it does a good job depicting this depicting this retreat the the steady advance of of technology into every aspect of people's lives and i was trying to do this earlier i was trying to think of something that doesn't use electricity something that we don't use currently that uses electricity and as i was thinking about it pretty much like well electricity seems is seemingly in everything and then you mentioned this earlier what what is electricity in itself i mean that in itself is curious and then you consider all the ones and zeros for the for the digital information it's like putting the screen up in my room here for my computer and can have these ones and zeros interpreted on my screen and basically whatever i want just very very interesting and I, i would just make one comment you stated about the debasement of everything and clearly that's clearly that's going on one of the things that was mentioned the 432 440 hertz conspiracy was that classical music was always tuned at the original frequency and that depending on the depending on the musicians they would develop like a set standard that they would go by they would never just set out with the 440 as a standard they would tune as a group and work together cuz you have these big orchestras with different instruments and they would reach they'd reach some decision on on what frequency they wanted but just going back to the complete debasement so the information i read was suggesting that i mean look how far music has degraded music just just as one form of art you went from these highly complex intricate beautiful sounding orchestras and these big bands playing together and like mozart composing this fantastic music to grunge pop or whatever modern music they're spewing out now you can see a complete debasement and just to your point, you see that in every 
aspect, seemingly every aspect of, of reality. Have you noticed fly fisher as well? So if you take a, a young person today, don't get me wrong, I like music a lot of lot of different types. It doesn't matter my age. I've always had a diverse interest in different types of music. I've noticed that if you play classical music today, what is the reaction you get usually from somebody who is school age still? They just cannot have no capacity to appreciate it. That's right. Even if you explain the intricacy and the the effort that must have gone into composing these pieces, even when you talk about like a film score today, so say something like the Star Wars music, even in the composition of that today, it is a major effort to make that kind of music. Yet you try and explain that to the youth of today, and you know what I mean? It's kind of... Yeah. It's really crazy. So for me, I'm happy to appreciate whatever. I'll appreciate rap. I'll appreciate electronic anything i still love classical music and i love film film scores and and all sorts but i can see that my children my children absolutely abhor classical music absolutely hate it and i just think well that is the programming that is the programming at play for sure because to not be able to appreciate such a, a beautiful thing that is art appreciation isn't it it's just gone it's going it's slipping away reality is slipping away yeah, it's going to be a lost art form soon enough. It really, it just strikes me as the, the Epsilon agenda. Like, it, it would seem that they're intentionally dumbing people down. They're intentionally retarding people. I and mean, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that. And then we're kind of indicating through here. I mean, it's it's done through these common mediums like music, where you used to have these fantastic pieces that, that took a great deal of time to put together. As you said, folks nowadays, kids nowadays hate to be one of the those guys saying kids nowadays but they, they wouldn't uh, they wouldn't appreciate it they, they wouldn't they don't know how to their brains have not even been formed enough to appreciate it so it absolutely seems like the conditioning and the programming is going as planned it's definitely going as planned and it's a total debasement of almost the quality of life because if you can't well, you can't enjoy a nice artistically composed piece of music like that in a sense you're being robbed of some quality of life there am I right for sure without doubt I mean again my mind's going off in all different tangents here and I could take it in all sorts of different directions I mean the music itself today I mean don't get me wrong there are still some really talented musicians out there and some of the modern music is still it's fantastic it still is but then there's other music that you'll sit and listen to and, it, and like, there's not even a chorus it's just it's just one big long verse <laughs> and it's just ridiculous for me being a somebody who used to be in a band I used to write music I used to this sort of thing and I'm just sitting there listening I'm going like oh, verse chorus verse verse chorus where is it what's going on here there's no there's nothing <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy isn't it absolutely crazy yes yeah, so I know I've left my thread on where I was going to go the other one say someone else but it's gone don't even want to take it <laughs> yeah, I got some stuff to cover in relation to the movie It. If you want to do a brief walkthrough on that one. And just understand, I'm not a movie critic. This is just my interpretation and some of the thoughts that came to mind about the film. I had, uh, I had viewed the film when I was much younger and it had a, an impact on me. It's a horror movie, that type of thing. But then to watch it recently, there were some definite themes that were popping out at me. So I kind of wanted just to discuss those if you're all right going in that direction. 
Yeah, go for it, Roy Fisher. So I read the Stephen King novel many, many years ago of it. And to be fair, I've always found Stephen King very descriptive and quite boring. But having said that, the stories are always very intricate and do absorb you, even if they're quite slow-paced and over-descriptive. But there you go. So it was actually one of his novels that I managed to stick through all the way and did read it all. And I also, I believe it was, a, wasn't it a TV series or something like that? And stuck together in some kind of like mini film so the, the original it and then obviously then there's the new version now now I've had this film the new version sitting on my laptop for a long time and I've still not watched the new one yet so it, all my thoughts on it are from the book and from this original series I believe it you know a lot of it is the same concept so I don't know if what what you just said then you just said like you, that you'd seen it from when you were younger as well so uh, are you referring to this older version or are you referring to the new version no the the older version and i i have watched the i've watched the newer version lately and it it doesn't cover some of the things that are covered in the original film and i i think it missed some it misses some of the key themes that were covered on in the in the original film at least so that that's the one i was going to touch on yeah, it's no surprise, is it, that the new version would be would have a lot of detail took out of it. Carry on, mate. I'm intrigued to say the least. But no, TNG you can't hold it against them. The the modern retarded minds can't they can't handle that much detail. So they've had to leave stuff out of the new one, or the modern brain would just melt. They've retarded these people. They they <laughs> they have to withhold some of the plot lines. Sorry, you did mention, didn't you, earlier that it does seem that that's the case that they are re retarding the. Mind and whatever but it's not that they just seem to be doing that it is actually fact that they are doing that from the education system's point of view isn't it because again if we look at the people who set up the secondary education system that was the intentional intentional homogenization of the masses to give them all the same beliefs so they're all at one level which is what they have achieved certainly in the last 100 years so yeah carry on with it sorry i just digressed a little bit there no it's fine and you always bring up these interesting points get gets my mind thinking on some other things and touched on the modern education system and i vaguely remember watching a documentary that mentioned that the modern education system is based on like the prussian education system and that some fanciful story about like the prussian system was done that way because they had soldiers in the field who were neglecting orders so they wanted to make people more responsive to orders right and that's how they they form their education system so just an aside but i i thought that was uh fascinating that's something I, I have have looked into again so that this Prussian education system so it's the repeating method isn't it so it's repeating giving the information repeat and so that it's just been repeated back essentially is, is it's not there's no thought process within it at all as you say it is related to giving orders it's as simple as that there's no more to it there really doesn't have to be it's like they're almost treating people like computers put the right input in and you'll get the right output out so just an aside on the the NPCs, you know. So I'm sure everybody's familiar with the movie. I is a pretty big production at the time so again this is in no way meant to serve as like a very detailed analysis of the of the film and not a professional film skeptic or anything to that effect so just set your expectation bar a little lower on this one but i did want to bring out some of the key themes that i i thought were really interesting and what i'm going to do is just give a brief overview of some of the things that i i picked up on in the film and then what i could do is any one of those points i could go in 
into some detail about how it was depicted in the film and what's the relevance of it. And we'll kind of just see where the, the conversation spins from there. Okay. All right. So some of the basic themes were the movie takes place in like a small town. So it's small town USA. It has a lot of, of course, because it's a, a horror movie, it has these overtones of fear. In, in it, specifically the original version, there's also an overarching theme of not only fear, but anger and violence. I should say fear, anger, and violence. There's also topics, there's also some notion of like magic versus reality, tangible reality versus versus magic, magical thinking. Of course, it involves uh, child murder. Again, I mentioned the the prevalence of violence and also a conspiracy of silence by the town folk. It also has a lot of these standard classic character archetypes, just to give a few, it has the bully, the fat kid, the quiet girl, and then it wouldn't be complete without the Jews. So they got the Jew in there. <laughs> um, and they say it like that. That's not me being intentionally offensive. And then, yeah, so just to get into it a little bit further, it kind of opens up with the the murder uh, of a child and then kind of goes goes from there into a storyline about the the main characters and and again as i touch on the points i'll try to get a little more specific but i also wanted to bring up again i mentioned it's a small town it seems that all the horror all the bad stuff is coming from the sewer is coming from lower so one of the opening scenes the little brother of the main character is sent to the basement to retrieve a thing of glue or wax as he's descending he's getting frightened he's scared of going down lower and I, I should also mention there is sewer pipes that are visible in the the framed shot and you'll see this kind of going throughout this little breakdown here is that the sewers and the gutter have a lot to do with this and I, I'm gonna relate that to some interesting stuff but let me m just move on from that so I mentioned that fear and anger are a big theme in the movie of course it's a horror movie but really what it's showing is that when the group gets together when they work collaboratively, they can overcome the violence, they can overcome the fear. It's not until they've shared with each other their individual horrors and experiences that they're able to band together. Yeah, so let me also mention it's it's got minor numerology and I didn't do a ton of work on the numerology. So it does at least a couple times mention the lucky number seven, which you could go take that into a whole bunch of directions. Let me bring it back to the, the beginning. You start out with the, the main character, Bill and his little brother, George. So Georgie's gonna be a main theme just throughout the relatively short breakdown. I'm gonna try to make it as, as uh, neat as I can here. But yeah, Georgie's gonna be a major theme. So the movie opens up with Bill, the main character, losing his little brother, Georgie. His little brother, Georgie, goes out to play in the rain. And mind you, it's he's going to play in the rain and he's taking this little cardboard boat and he's floating it down, down the side of the street. And the little boat goes into a drain which is where he then the the young boy Georgie then encounters the the clown he encounters it so this is the first time that you actually see you see the clown right he's a clown he's scary he's then going to kill the younger brother and then it just cuts right to Bill and all of his friends at the funeral so now it's it's cutting to Georgie's funeral and again trying to be somewhat brief about how 
how I go about covering the rest of it. You'll see Bill. So what I'm going to do now is I'm just going to cover the main experiences that each character has. So as an overview, what occurs is that each one of our characters, each one of our ar archetypal characters has a haunting. They're, they get haunted and they get a visitation by it. And then I'm just going to cover those and then we'll, we'll take the conversation from there. I did want to mention the theme of gutters and the drain, which made me think of some researcher that I had uh, uncovered at some point was talking about these papal bulls that the Vatican would come out with. And there's this papal bull, apparently, if that's the right phraseology that I'm looking for here, that dealt with taking ownership of the souls of the earth. So all the souls of the earth reportedly belong to the Vatican because they've claimed it in their uh, official documentation here. This researcher suggested that it was that kind of like ba Babylonian Talmudic law or like maritime law reached land and was able to be applied to land via the gutter. So I thought that was in relation to the film because it has a lot to do with the sewer system and the gutter. Seems interesting to me that this maritime law would reportedly uh, be applied to the land via the gutter. So it's an interesting point. So our character Bill is going to get his first haunting, which is he grabs an old photo album. He's looking at, oh, Georgie, little brother Georgie that died, the book is going to leap out of his hands, jump across the room, and it's going to violently start bleeding, and you get some of the clown side effects and that that type of stuff here. So that was Bill's haunting. Moving on, you're introduced to the character Benny. This is our, our fat boy character. He's like the new kid to class, stands up in front of the class. He's telling them that he likes old civilizations and that he likes to read about old Egyptians and, and old Indians and that sort of thing. He then runs into the quiet girl, Beverly or Betty. It's referred to a couple times. I'll just say Betty. Shortly after that, you see you see Benny or the, the fat boy character here is then attacked by the bully and held up with a knife. So again, this goes back to this violence and anger. He then, of course, he escapes the bullies and now he's down by the marsh, right? He's down by the, the little swamp area. So again, bringing in all this uh, gutter and, and that sort of thing. That's when we're introduced to Bill and and his asthmatic buddy. Let me see here if I got the buddy's name. So you run into his asthmatic buddy. The bullies come up and they start bothering them. And the bully is teasing the, the little boy because he's asthmatic, right? And without his inhaler, you know, he, he's going to have a panic attack or die. So without, without that inhaler, so now he's getting picked on by the bully. And that's where, you know, our three characters here kind of meet for the first time. And they're young chaps. They're having a good old time. And they're they're brought together uh, seeking protection, right? Seeking each other's shelter uh, from the bullies. So again, this theme of like anger and violence. How am I doing there, TNG? Doing fantastic. The thing is for me, there's so much, there is absolutely so much here. Just at any one section, you could probably talk about for a long time, couldn't you? So it's really, really how far you want to take this. Certainly this papal bull thing as well is really interesting. Yeah. Just wanted to ask you on that. This researcher you say you picked up on who was giving you this information, did he also go on about the fact about the blood being taken? So when they do the heel prick test or 
still used to do the heel prick test. So they, they take that blood away. That is supposedly what goes to the Vatican as your re- representation of the soul. Really? Did, did you mention that? Mm. Ah, that's very interesting. No, he they don't cover that, but they do cover the bit about how in maritime law, reportedly, you're giving your footprint. So not a, not a blood sample, but this, you're giving your footprint. And it's at that time that the parents, by signing the birth certificate, are signing over the child's life. This is why Child Protective Services can come and pick your child up and it not be considered kidnapping because technically the state owns your child. You sign the child away when you gave the footprint on the child's birth certificate. So that kind of plays in here with this Una Sanctum. And there's another one that the researcher was calling attention to. I'm sorry I didn't get that name. But this is reportedly how this maritime law has come up through the gutter, right? This is maritime law. It affects the oceans and the waterways. Well, here it is. It's going through the gutter and it's getting up into getting up into the, the landed realms, so to speak. And that's how you can have maritime law adopted on the land. Yeah. But yeah, not, nothing about the blood. Yeah, I was going to say, so you're calling it the gutter, but the sewer system, obviously, again, is all pervasive, isn't it? It is absolutely everywhere. So you have a flow of water. Literally everywhere you're walking, there's water flowing beneath your feet. Yeah, and it... It's quite interesting. It would seem significant that it's through that water that they're able to apply their maritime law to the land because you've got water running through there. So, all right, now you're now you're maritime, so we're going to hold you to, to maritime. And there's all sorts of interesting stuff. This, this topic, for anybody interested, is very well covered by some researchers. I, I'm not going to do a proper justice, but it, it does get interesting about some of the terms and phraseology that are used and it's significant that the child's giving a footprint on the birth certificate and that there's a lot of crossover between the language it's like when a ship pulls into harbor it's birth right well when you come down your mother's water canal right when you come out of her right you're you're in water so here's our theme of water this whole notion is coming back again so yeah certainly very interesting how that kind of plays plays into this and yeah so reportedly that's how it it got to the land tng was through the sewer well it's all very strange though isn't it it's all very convoluted all this so we have all (laughs) these all these thoughts on maritime law and the fact that it was developed for the sea and then they had to twist it and make up all these stories and whatever else they've done to try and apply it to the land but the reality is is if you have a feudal system is what what we're supposed to have or supposed to have had then surely they could apply any damn laws they wanted to and didn't have to give any excuse or or any convoluted story to justify that so it's all very strange yeah and just as you mentioned maritime law i did actually do an article on the maritime law thing so if i just go very briefly quickly to the end of my tilde as it were on this is that maritime law appears to have been constructed in the 1800s anyway so it is very hard for me to get my head around sometimes why it had to ever be extended back so yeah that's my tilde there modern day sources appear to be made up in the 1800s okay so th- that is it full stop I, yeah big, big breakdown all all the way down yeah. going through all the, the different sources and it comes from roman law and leads from the byzantine emperor justinian and all comes down but it, essentially it was all just made up in the 1800s again so goes back to the what you'd call the the normal you know the normal law not 
the the non-admiralty law or the maritime law, but the, the your legal system, your normal law, as it were, the common law and everything else. And again, that was made up at the same time. So it's just one. Pardon my French, but this is just one big mind fuck. The whole lot of it is. <laughs> it really is because it just the more you delve into these things, it was totally digressed away from it. And he was doing an amazing job actually at the old review. I thought it was good. <laughs> Could have been a professional. <laughs> Oh, thanks, man. I, I just wanted to cover those main things. Like each of the characters gets haunted and then it is through through their experiences that they're hanging out together. And one comes up and says, oh, I didn't want to tell you this. I was embarrassed, but I, you know, I'm getting haunted. And then all the other characters admit that they're being haunted as well. And essentially it is any source of fear or anger or angst that they have in their life is what generates the appearance of the clown. It's they're being haunted haunted when they're being confronted with these these fearful situations in life so and i'll give you just a couple examples of that for for the quiet girl it's her her father that they kind of implied is is a little incestuous with the daughter and i think smacks her in one scene so not a not a very good father figure so that's her that's her source of fear and angst and that it's in relation to that then she then it is then manifest manifested the clowns then manifested with the other character it is his asthma inhaler which i like this point because it goes to the kind of the hoaxery with the the medical industry is this this character has a very overbearing mother and the mother's always trying to say hey you need your inhaler you need your inhaler well later on in the film he goes to get the inhaler refilled at the pharmacy and the gentleman behind the pharmacy says this is just water it's just water. This isn't medication. This is water. Being fooled, your your mother's misleading you. And it seems to be that that's kind of his haunting is in relation to that. And then discovering that he's taken a placebo. Essentially, he's taking a, well, not essentially, he is taking a placebo. So I thought that as a source of fear is very pertinent because we all have those things in our lives that we trouble ourselves over, that we're concerned about, that really, pardon the pun, but it's kind of like a straw man. The kid doesn't really have asthma. Just mother wants him to be little, a little pedantic boy. She makes him believe that he needs this inhaler, which is, again, just interesting. and goes to the placebo that this child's getting. And, and that's his now manifestation is, is kind of through this, is through this overbearing mother character, this mother that's always trying to protect him. Should also be noted too, adds a little visual kind of scary effect to it, is his mother seems to be kind of out of shape. So it's like the out of shape, at home mom being overbearing with her child which uh, sure many many people can relate to i've had friends like that with the overbearing kind of out of out of shape uh, mother so i don't want to lean too heavily on that but then just basically fast forward you're looking at each one of these characters as an adult and they're kind of recalling the story as to what happened to them what their haunting was and they're recalling this story that they're they're getting haunted then they're then sharing the concerns with their their friends and remember these friends were only brought together by the bully the bullies who brought the friends together it was out of that out of seeking kind of shelter and some reprieve from the fear that these that these kids even got together and what they're finding out is that they're all having having similar experiences. So now you cut to a scene, they're all hanging out outside outdoors and they're talking to each other about these events. They're like, oh, I've been haunted. Well, I've been haunted too. And for the one child, it is, they had gone and of course, 
they go to see a an actual movie at a theater and of course what's the movie that they see tng it's like a werewolf movie and it just cuts to like the movie theater full of screaming kids all being paid to have themselves scared uh so one of this is like the funny guy this is our archi archetype of the funny guy. It's Richie is the character's name. And that Richie's at the movie theater. He sees the werewolf on the screen. And then when he has a manifestation of it in real life following an interaction with the bully, because again, it's always the bully that precedes a lot of these types of fear-induced situations. So it's following an encounter with the bully that he then, his manifestation of it appears, and it appears in that werewolf form. So it's as they're discussing these ideas, they're coming to the conclusion, well, hey, look, it was the werewolf for you because it knew that's what you feared most. So they're coming to the understanding that they're haunted hauntings and horrors is due to an evil being that can read minds and that replicates their fears. So whatever their individual fears are, it kind of feeds on and it will manifest those exact fears. And then just to kind of add a little flavor into, into the topic here, there is one character, as I mentioned, Stan, who when he's introduced by Richie, the funny guy, he is introduced as the Jew. So it is Stan now when they're having this conversation that goes on to say that's empirically impossible. That's empirically impossible for you to have had these hauntings. That's not real. You're not actually seeing anything real. So it goes to this empirical versus the, the unsubstantiated. And it again, this is going to the reality versus magic kind of notions here. Because although it's real to all of them, it's not empirically real in a sense. And, and that's what this character, this is what Stan is bringing to light. No, this is empirically impossible for you to have had uh, these types of, of encounters. And it's also worth mentioning on the note of magic in this film, when the movie starts, you see the older brother interacting with, with the brother Georgie. So it's Bill interacting with Georgie. Georgie is asking Bill to tell him the story. And of course, what's the story, TNG? It's magic stones. So here we go. Magic, the word magic is dropped right in the film. It says magic stones. Tell me the story about the magic stones. And that kind of plays into to, to some of the themes down the road. Um, but yeah, so the group's gotten together. They're determining that this is an evil being haunting them and that they're going to, as a group, overcome these fears. So some interesting points there. They do then, progressing forward, what you see is one of the characters after they've all gotten together. Now you have a total of seven characters, the lucky number seven or the losers club, which is what they call themselves. They then have a shared experience because one of the characters brings along an old photo album. As they're paging through the old photo album, they get to like an old timey shot of the street. And what happens is that picture then turns into like an active motion picture. You see people walking up and down the street. And oh, look, as they're looking at this photo album, who comes down the street but a clown? Now the clown is now rolling into the picture. He jumps up on the light post. He starts taunting the children. And again, they're looking at this in a, a book, basically. As the picture's moving, it then reaches its hand out, of course, protrudes itself into the, the environment. And then afterwards, all of them are like, oh my gosh, did you see that? And 
and they they all saw it so therefore it was like a shared experience now they're not having an individual experience but here they're having that shared experience so uh, i hope i'm not boring you here this this kind of does bring up that magic versus reality the illusion kind of concept and then i mentioned that as they're being haunted they're all having personal types of of hauntings and illusions for the one character it's his dead brother that keeps manifesting so it's this notion of how fear kind of plays in people's lives and kind of controls them and at the end of the film what you see is because they've conquered fear they're all successful they've all left their hometown and now they're all big successful rich fabulous uh adults because they overcame this fear so how are we doing so far tng i don't want to lose you here it is just so massive there's just so much you could say about this but what i did think about or what did strike me is uh, there's quite a lot of reversal going on so we're going on about the the duality of things so if i take a, a step back this clown idea just the old thought of the clown being horrific in nature in this story would i be right in saying that prior to this stephen king novel that was this the original horror clown yeah was this the first yeah. time Yes, because I've been trying to think. Have I have I actually seen, or can I re- recall anything prior to this, the original story coming out, so the, the novel of a clown being portrayed as evil and bringing forth fear, rather than being the happy, stupid circus idea of a clown, which was what the original the original thought of a clown is. So just just that in itself, then linking it into all these children's fears as well. It's it's kind of a big mind bender isn't it to, to actually see that they've reversed the old idea of a clown and then today in today's world it's quite a big thing now isn't it it's just movie after movie after movie and a story after story and image and after image of uh, horrible clowns with knives and <laughs> sharp teeth and right whatever you want to isn't that strange what what yeah and they just that in itself what would taking away something that is gave joy and happiness to people and it's <laughs> it's brought them down to you was mentioning overarching dread that's exactly what they've instilled into the image of a clown how crazy is that absolutely crazy and the other thing i just wanted to pick up on as well is when you mentioned the jew and the fact that he was the one who was with the empirical observations and that it couldn't possibly be magic but isn't it strange that it's actually the jewish people who actually were the ones who supposedly put magic into the place with their emetic principles and that yeah that's absolutely right everything else so is it again we're looking at a reversal so you, you've got the jewish lad who, who's supposed to be the you know the boy scout the intelligent <laughs> yeah the boy scout intelligent practical giving advice example but it is actually that's where essentially magic as it were is evolved from within our society is from the the jewish side of the equation so it's all very strong well taking merlin of course but of course he wasn't real so uh Well, it's like you said, it's that the role reversal, right? So, I mean, as you mentioned, you know, they may be more magically inclined as far as our reality is concerned. In this reality, it's the opposite. He's the Boy Scout. He's the pragmatist. And eventually, it's this character that ends up suiciding himself, killing himself, because he can't handle, as an adult, when he's reminded of what happened, he can't handle it and he, he ends up killing himself. So definitely very interesting there. And yeah, I would just accompany what you said. That is 
seems to be kind of kind of role reversal. And again, obviously, the big thrust here, the whole thrust of the narrative, and obviously what you're bringing out from this as well is, is just the, the very fact that you have an entity that is generating all this fear from the violence and everything else. It's generating the fear and absorbing it. It's taking it in, feeding off these children. Yeah, that's right. So that brings in the kind of like louche yeah. energy feeding parasite thing we were we were touching on earlier. So it's such a big, big thing here with this film, isn't it? Yeah, and then I, I just go back to bringing it, making it a little more relevant, talking about the fear that the TV spews all day. I mean, you absolutely are being set in an anxious, alert, scared mind intentionally, seemingly 24-7 with the 24-hour news cycle. And I, I know we touched on this idea earlier, so I won't dive too deep into it. But I, I really do think that's, of course, it's a horror movie. So that's the central theme of this is the fear. And I also will bring up the point that one of the characters, so the bully, right? I've talked about the bully in the film. The bully actually ends up succumbing to the fear and ends up killing his father in the movie. So it's a little interesting there. And, and it's actually, he is instructed. So as I mentioned, each character has a physical manifestation of the it creature when it gets haunted. Well, the bully character is haunted by his like over oppressive, like a abusive father. When that occurs and that triggers his fear response, his his haunting is essentially the TV pops on. And I, I mentioned this to you as interesting. It's like an old 19, 1960s like Sesame Street show where it's got this central teacher character surrounded by children and they're doing some kind of chorus or something. So the TV's on as the as the bully's father's sleeping there in an armchair. And then when the haunting occurs, right, it pops up in, in place of the central teacher character and it encourages him to kill and then to kill his dad. And then it kind of cuts back to the teacher character. And now the teacher character and all the children are saying, kill, kill, kill. So it's directly through the TV that this individual succumbs to the fear and is brought down by it. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know if it gets any more blatant than that as far as the symbology goes. I mean, the TV tells him to kill his dad, the guy kills his dad. This is blatantly obvious, isn't it? I think the only thing I would say is if this is in relation, really is in relation to what is going on, then I think obviously it does symbolise with the fact that in the movie somebody's getting killed, but in the real world, to me, is is the the death is not the important thing. It's not happening, is it? It's just the generation of the fear that, or the fear of the death. That, that is the important part. So if you see what I'm getting at here. Yeah. So hence why we have the fake wars and the fake everything else. It's just the fear of death that is driving driving it. It is not the actual intention of causing the death or the harm. Because obviously without the people, if they're all dead, then they're not going to be generating any fear. Are they? <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's like keeping the hamster going on the wheel, you know? It's crazy stuff, isn't it? But how, how do you ever are we ever going to prove this, eh? <laughs> are you ever going to... It, it is so blatant, isn't, isn't it? It is really so blatant, that the, the fear generation. So you've got to think to yourself, well, for a control mechanism, going back to this Epsilon agenda, would it be necessary to generate all this fear? And when you look at it, I don't think it would be. Would it be really necessary to generate all fear? I, I don't think it would. No, it, it doesn't make sense, does it? You're dumbing down the people. You're basically programming them, turning them into bots to serve the purpose they're meant to why would you in one respect take away the thought process take 
away the critical thinking and then in the next step be instilling fear in there which if anything would instill a reaction in the mind you're going on about survival and this flight instinct and and whatever you're trying to you see what i'm getting at here you, you're kind of it's kind of like a reversal again is so in one way you take you're dumbing down the people but in the second part you're giving them an adrenaline hit which if anything is gonna aid the thinking process yeah you see what i'm saying yeah yeah so it seems kind of contradictory doesn't it Again, yeah, it's another duality thing. So oh, it's crazy. The mind boggles. It absolutely boggles. It really does. So it- so the one thing I wanted to bring up in relation to this, and again, I'll, I'll uh, slide back from my like line-by-line line breakdown of the film. Again, in a sense, the group gets together, and it is through their like shared cooperation that they're able to overcome the fear. Years later, as adults, they realize that the murders are going on again. One of the characters who stayed back in the town calls and says, hey, guys, it's back again we got to come fight it so the team gets together and then they go and fight it so that's that and of course they vanquish the enemy and all that sort of thing but and that's just to put a bow uh, on the uh on the actual review there but what i would bring up is this concept of there are entities there are archons out there milking us for our fear or there's other some other kind of like entity that's sustaining itself via our fear brings up to me does humanity have any natural predators is that what it is because we we're so complacent and so comfortable in in the realm itself because we don't have any natural predators that we have this like dormant fear instinct that doesn't get triggered and the and the tv needs to be there to to alert that i don't know but it it would seem that that's maybe one explanation for why people have this like existential fear of like being picked up by ufos and and probe they have this existential fear this overarching doom and again that's a big theme in this in this movie is this overarching fear so is that from like the the predation we we remember to a time when we were prey or because we don't have any natural predators we we fear that that's what we fear the most so it's it's kind of interesting and i think that's one of the reasons why people contrive these alien stories out of this existential fear of something bigger and badder than them heard it once referred to that um who who was the father of rocketry tng you remember who that guy was that worked with uh walt disney oh warner von braun that's it warner von braun i heard it you have the jpl guy as well don't you the yeah, yeah, that's right. Into uh, Satanism and whatever else he was up to. So. Yep, and, and he's a big occultist, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, go on, yeah. Go on, Werner Braun Braun. Yeah, so it, it was yeah, it was it was him that was had reportedly given a quote to his secretary or something like, you know, the social engineers found out that there was one thing people feared that humanity feared, and it was something bigger and badder than them. It was something with better technology, more advanced technology that could subdue them. That that's instinctually that's what they're they're playing on. I would just bring up that's what so much of this seems to be like is this specific they're they're targeting emotion so they're targeting the fear from people or any of the other various emotions and really interests me is how they do it with the tv programming again i mentioned that the tv in this film told the guy told the the bully to kill his father it just seems like such an art form that they're able to to attach these kind of like loaded emotions into their programming so it's again it's almost like they're treating people humanity humans like 
they're they're robots. Again, you put in the right input and you'll get the right output. And it just seems like they've cobbled together in their Kabbalistic magic or however they pulled this off. They're able to send through these codes to people that get the correct responses from them. And that's kind of what this is referring to is the fear code. So let's put the fear code in so we get the right response out, right? And in the film, it's they overcome that and then they're all successful. But those that succumb to it are dragged down by it. And the bully at the end of the movie is in, well, he ends up dead by the end of the movie. But as an adult, the bully is in like a psychiatric ward. So he was overtaken by the fear and he paid a heavy price for it. So do you get what I mean, though, about the like how they're able to put these kind of codes or these cheat codes together to input into people to get the right responses? It's like, okay, if we want people to take up the environmental cause, just put in cheat code XYZB, you know, whatever it is. You're right. But again, I mean, I, I always do this. I always kind of step, try and step away from what's been said and just try, try and pick up on some. Again, I'm thinking, well, why is it? Why is it with all this media that we can pick up on the fact that we've got this, what seems like an agenda to put all this fear and whatever into the programming. But then on the flip side, you have a film like It, which is blatantly telling you what's happening. Why? 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 <laughs> why? why do they do that? Why would they do that? It just makes no, it makes no sense at all. You're telling me that they're doing it for us, Isla. Do they do that for the people who, who can see what's going on? I, I don't, I don't, I, I, that just doesn't, doesn't cut it, does it? It really doesn't. I got a couple ways I could take that, but I will add that one of the characters in the movie asks specifically because after their shared experience, the characters are like, well, let's go tell the adults. Let's go tell the adults. And then the one character's like, they don't see it. And and pretty much like asking why, why don't they see it? Why can't they see it? Which is kind of makes me just think of the truth community. Like, why are there some things that we can see that the, the normies can't? It, that really, really hits me. Well, the normal process here is, is that as time goes by, the more programming they see. So the older they are, the less likely they are to see anything. Maybe not my, not in my case, because I, I might be getting, I seem to be going the other way. But <laughs> well, that is the case, isn't it? Do we, now, I mean, do we think there's going to be a point at the future that the Epsilon agendas work so well that this kind of programming won't be required? Like they're, they're doing it for an explicit purpose now. Maybe it's because there's still semi-conscious humans walking around there there are still some that are that are awake and they need to beat those folks down as as quick as they can so they got to start on you early you know i truly suspect that this has always been the case i'm the first one to to remark about the apocalypse and 9-11 being a big ritual to as a big flag to all the people that are possibly going to wake up and notice what's happening but at the end of the day i I think i still think there's always been people awake to stuff and you can you can see going back to at least in to the 1950s and 60s that there were certain individuals spouting out about certain things that were going on and conspiracies or whatever there's certainly always been people who've highlighted things that are going on that shouldn't have been to answer your question is it going to be possible for them to turn off the consciousness no is it is it going to be possible for them to to stop the programming will it get to such such a point where the programming's been so effective that they no longer have to do it well where was we going earlier we were heading that everybody 
everybody's going to end up in a tank in in, in virtual but they're going to be in the ultimate program aren't because they? they're in virtual reality <laughs> yeah that's right. a virtual reality world of their own maybe of their own choice who knows so you're answering your, you've answered your own question already haven't you really i think <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's in the in the tank you go in in the tank you go that's for sure in fact you'll be but as in brave new world the humans are born in in the tank or born unnaturally not of human birth but maybe what will happen is is they'll start birthing people in the tank but just leaving them in there <laughs> <laughs> That just won't ever come out. Right, right. <laughs> that makes me think of the the birth trauma, man. Like they're doing all they can now to make it as artificial as a birth as possible, aren't they? They certainly are. You got the yeah. It just gets worse, blatant, more blatant to me as as time goes by. What's going on with the birth trauma? It's pretty horrendous, isn't it? So it's really horrendous. Yeah, man. It, that's a tough one to 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 realize. You know. Yeah, it doesn't matter which bit you look at. It all, it's all pretty bad. Dapey Dapey and his incubator hoax is the latest addition. The latest addition to that <laughs> list. It is pretty awful. It really is. But I don't know. Where I think you've just pretty much summed it up. Really, you've ended. You've ended up in a. It, we've all ended up in tanks. Birthed in tanks. Ended up in tanks. <laughs> and the, the only thing you didn't mention, mate, is what we discussed in the prequel was your portrait. And then if you want to add that to the mix, because then you, oh yeah, then we know who's sitting outside the tanks in don't we <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's right man oh yeah so let me put that in here i mentioned in my befuddled attempt to give a review of this film i did mention that it shows the hauntings that each one of the the children have when they're younger it's like their adult version flashing back so when you get the adult version of richie who's the comedian he's the comic when he's having his flashback you see his adult character is like a stand-up comedian now he's on the equivalent of like some late night tv show doing a stand-up bit and the camera follows him back as he's exiting the stage it follows him back to his dressing room as you get in into the dressing room you're given like a wide angle shot of the room and right above the vanity mirror is a line of portraits right i encourage anybody who's interested in this to go back and check out those portraits they are incredibly interesting and for the for the purpose of this description i'll continue again you have a long line of these portraits above the vanity mirror and you have some figures some human figures that look like they could be maybe magicians like there's a, a guy with a long Long beard and they just they don't look like the standard photos that you would have above your vanity mirror and then sure enough right in the middle square in the middle of that line of portraits is a portrait of a non-human reptile looking character i shit you not if you go look and pause it at that scene in the middle of that line of portraits you will see a non-human like green reptile looking creature it's just it's beyond it's beyond normal why would anybody have a portrait like that it, it makes no sense for the shot at all this is a movie star he's in his dressing room why would there be a portrait of like a reptile looking non-human creature it's very bizarre and it's prominently right in the middle of the other photographs there so it's they're not uh, they're not being shy about it you can you can't miss it if you look at it and uh it's, it's like you said given the themes of the film i mean they explicitly 
constantly talk about an evil being. Well, look at that picture and tell me that thing doesn't look like an evil being that feeds on fear. Because that thing absolutely does. It absolutely looks like that. Just one of those like mind-bending little oddities. Because it stands out at you. It's it's very odd looking. A little portrait there of, of a reptile looking creature. So what are your thoughts? I mean, why in the world would that have made it in? And we, come on TNG, we know they intentionally frame every single shot. Like it didn't get in there by accident. Let's say it like that, right? Well, it seems to me that, you know, we've kind of got the whole story of the human race going on here in this one film by the sound of it. So this is just one more little proof again of, of something going on and, and no matter what anybody believes is really going on in the world and who's possibly behind it as fly fisher just said what purpose what reason would that be for them to show that portrait there unless of course it's an allergy to the to the one child who was the one who was being empirical should we say that but i, <laughs> I shouldn't really say anything <laughs> like that should i but there you go yeah anyway fly fisher that's we've just hit two hours so i'm gonna end the call now we'll say goodbye i think to this show i'll speak to you in the after call mate do you want to say goodbye to everybody thanks for joining me by the way yeah yeah no absolutely enjoyed the call uh thanks for having me and again thank you everybody for for putting up with that uh that attempt at a film analysis i i do think we hit on some key points so at the very least it'll it'll be entertaining and i encourage everybody please i'm looking at this picture now this thing is a reptile this is not <laughs> this is not a human this is a reptile toad looking thing it looks like a toad it's got Anyways, for anybody interested, go back. It's at exactly 53, 53 minutes, 40 seconds, if you want to check out what I'm talking about. Very bizarre and, and somewhat out of place. So anyways, thanks again for having me. Appreciate it. And take care. I'm going to say one thing here, Fly Fisher. How much like a toad does it look like? Because if it really does look like a toad, or does it look more like a frog? Could it actually be the frog god? Could it be Kick? It, <laughs> it could be almighty keck it, it absolutely could well there you go it's a frog god something like that that's for sure <laughs> right so this is Titanognosis, and it's goodbye for now I'm, like I said, man, I'm looking at this picture now. This thing is not a human. It looks like a toad. It does. It's got these big old lips, these wide set eyes, clearly like scaly looking skin. It's super bizarre. It's got like one of those blown out top of the heads. The frog god? Kick. The frog god? Kick. The frog god? Okay. <laughs>